Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. It's great to be with everybody this morning. You know, we're coming up to Christmas and we're celebrating Christmas. You know, the festive fun, inverted commas, as much fun as you can get in COVID. <laughs> Knock yourselves out. <laughs> but, you know, the, the traditional idea of Christmas is a baby in a manger. There's angels and there's this, that and the other. It gives off this flavour of sentimentality and uh, even tradition. But you know something? It does nothing for men because men are never, ever going to be led by a baby. And, you know, we're still working on this hymn called Away with the Manger because, you know, Jesus was, he came to seek and to save men and women. And that baby in a manger in Bethlehem grew up to, to become Jesus, the Messiah. He always was the Messiah, but he had to go through all the maturation processes. You know, Jesus was no ordinary man. He didn't have an ordinary birth. Why? Because he is God, the Son. He's not just the Son of God. He is God, the Son. And there's something about Jesus that is so different from us. Napoleon Bonaparte said this, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander the Great and Caesar, Charlemagne and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon brute force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. And that is just so true. You know, Socrates taught for 40 years and influenced this world. Plato for 50 years, Aristotle for 40 years, and Jesus Christ for only three years. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left behind by the combined 130 years of teaching from these men who were among the greatest philosophers of all antiquity. One man has said, I'm within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever were built, and all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life, Jesus Christ. And I want to look just for moments over this Christmas period at this person, Jesus, who is anathema to this world. People just cannot get their heads around him. And I want to, if I can, just stab into your thinking, light from heaven, stab into your thinking, this revelation that came from heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, God, the Son. And I want to say he isn't your average human being and yet he entered the world in the same way that you and I did but Jesus I want to say first of all spoke like he was God even the religious authorities of his day who didn't like him because he was a disruptor and a disturber of the status quo and I hope he disrupts and disturbs your status quo why 
because the best is yet to come, but you will never experience God's best while you just keep playing it safe. Jesus is a disturber and a disruptor. His leadership is different from all others. He spoke like he was God. You know, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is speaking in the house. And, and there's a guy couldn't get in because the crowds were just stopping everybody from getting in. And, and so these four guys put their, their mate onto a mat and then they lifted it up onto the roof, made a hole in the roof. I love these guys. And, you know, they lowered the friend down to Jesus. And Jesus looked at this man and the Bible says he was paralytic, not paralytic. He was paralytic. He had a disease that affected his nervous system that he couldn't, he couldn't control himself. And it, he had involuntary actions. But here's the thing. He had involuntary actions. He was not in control of himself. Like many, many people in our nation and throughout the world, they're not in control of themselves. They do things that they're ashamed of. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. As a teenager, I wasn't in control of myself. I put myself about town. I wasn't in control. Other things were controlling me. What people thought of me controlled me. The booze that I was consuming controlled me. Bad self-image controlled me. Or the other swing that I went to from a bad self-image, I thought I were going to conquer the world. That controlled me. I don't know what's controlling you today, but you need to know that this man represents you in the story. He was out of control and desperately wanted to be in control of his life. And Jesus looked at the man and he said this, strange words, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the, the theological elite were there and they said, who is this man that forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Mark records in his gospel, he says, Jesus knew immediately in his spirit what they were thinking. And he said, what's easiest for me to do? To say to this man, get up and take up your mat and go home. Or to say your sins are forgiven. But just so that you know that the, the son of man has got authority on earth to forgive sins. He, he looked at the guy and he said, get up, take up your mat and go home. And that's exactly what the guy did. The thing that carried him in, he got hold off and carried it back out. For the first time in years, this man was now in control of his life. He wasn't dependent on everybody else to make his life function. From dysfunction to function. Why? Because that's how powerful forgiveness is. Because forgiveness restores your relationship with your heavenly father. And all of a sudden, all things become new. And you become the person that God intended you to be. And you know, the people, the religious elite, really, really didn't like Jesus. But the common people heard him, the Bible says, with gladness. Jesus spoke like he was God. He said, whoever believes in me has passed from death to life. That's a big claim. And yet Jesus substantiates that claim later on in his life. Jesus spoke like he was God. But Jesus also behaved like he was God. One day he's on the, on the waters of uh, the lake. And, you know, so big is, is the lake that Jesus went on. It's like a sea. And storms can come up within moments. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. And he just said to them, let's go over to the other side. And then he got into the boat and the Bible says the disciples followed him. And that's true discipleship. True disciples just follow Jesus. Just follow him in the boat. 
follow him. Whatever he tells you to do, that means he's gone before you. Just follow him. And honestly, your life changes. Jesus will lead you into places you never even dreamed of. And, and because he wants to spread this gospel. And I want to speak to people in global today as well as visitors, but, you know, just to people in global at this moment in time. Are you following Jesus? Or is your faith so old you forgot what it is to follow Jesus and now you're still doing your own thing? I don't look at my audience here today because it will convict them badly. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, as you follow Jesus, you get, I can remember doing a gospel tent mission on this tough estate in Blackburn in Lancashire. And for you listening from Africa and from America, Blackburn's an amazing place. <laughs> when we were doing it, we were doing all sorts of things. We did a kids club, we did a youth club, and then we did meetings in the evening. We did lots of schools where, but we found a gun and it was, it was wrapped in polythene. And so I took it to the police station and the sergeant on the desk came and said, what's your name? I said, Dave Shore. He goes, I know you. And I said, no, 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 you probably know me brother. <laughs> because <laughs> my brother was always in trouble but he just said no 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 I know you he said I arrested you on uh, in, on the early hours of Easter Monday some years back and I said yeah 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 you probably did then <laughs> and he said what are you doing I said I'm leading the church and he's going you are anyway I won't tell you what he said but he, he didn't believe me to be fair but when you're following Jesus he takes you into places you never even knew you were going to go and you see some amazing things and you watch God at work in people's lives. And it's awesome. Jesus behaved like he was God. He went into the boat, fell asleep in the back. And as the, the disciples were rowing, seven of them, seven out of the 12 were fishermen. And so they understood the high sea and they were on it. And, and you know something? A storm came and it was a life-threatening storm. And at first they thought they could handle it because they've been in many storms before. And so they just keep rowing until eventually... They're like, this is overpowering me. I can't, I can't, I can't make any headway. We, we seem to be just going round and round in circles. And there's water getting in the boat and it's not looking good. I feel like I'm sinking. And that's probably what every disciple thought. We're sinking here, we're sinking. And maybe today you feel like you're sinking in life. Coronavirus has got hold of you psychologically. And you're like, I feel claustrophobic. I feel like I'm an, inv an invisible prison. I can't go and visit the people that I love. I can't get out there. And you feel like you're sinking. And I want you to do what these disciples did. Maybe there's other things that cause you to feel like you're sinking. It could be debt and you're overwhelmed with debt and there's more coming in to sink your boat in life. He says the disciples went and walked Jesus up. They turned to Jesus. And this Christmas... I'm inviting you to turn to Jesus because he's the only saviour. Honestly, he's the only saviour. He's not a life coach. He's more than a life coach. He's the only one that can understand you deep on the inside and give you answers and take off the pressure that's sinking your, your ship or your boat. They woke Jesus up and they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? Interesting. That's what people often accuse God of all the time. Don't you care? Don't you care? That's our response. And Jesus turned around and he said to them, where's your faith? They're in the middle of a storm. Jesus says, where's your faith? Clint Eastwood couldn't come out with anything cooler than that. It's like, where's your faith? Ooh, wah, wah, wah. And they, they must have looked at him like gone out. You know, it's, 
And then Jesus turned to this life-threatening wind and waves and he said, get down. In fact, the, the language he used was a language he used to demons. Stop it. That's what, that's what he used to say to demons. Stop it and demons would come out. And he used the same phrase to this storm. Stop it. And it went calm. And the disciples looked at him and they said this. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Because ever since they were little Jewish boys, they were brought up to understand that only the creator had got authority and power over creation. And here in this man, Jesus, they see that same authority over creation. And the Bible says they worshipped him. And Jesus accepted worship at least three times in his life. That's blasphemy if it's not true. If he shouldn't have worship, if only God should have worship, then Jesus said, should have said, don't worship me. Worship somebody else. You know, worship the Father. But he didn't. He didn't stop them from worshipping. Jesus was no ordinary man. Jesus spoke like he was God. Jesus behaved like he was God. And Jesus lived like he was God. He accepted worship, as I've said. Even the wise men, I mean, he couldn't do much about it as a, as a young kid. He was a two-year-old, probably, uh, when the wise men got to him. But the, the wise men came from Persia, from Iraq and Iran, that, around that area. And it was like a three to four week journey for them to get here. And they brought gold, frankincense and myrrh. And gold because he was a king. Frankincense because he was God. And frankincense was used in worship. And myrrh representing his death, his sacrificial death for the sin of the whole world. And you know, it said that these wise men came to Jesus and they bowed down and they worshipped him. These were influencers, huge influencers of society. And they came and they bowed down and worshipped Jesus. And I want to say that if you're an influencer today and you're saying, I'm riding high in life, things are going well, the wisest thing you can do this Christmas is to come to Christ, come to Jesus, the Christ. Bow down and worship. Peter, a close friend of Jesus, said this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you know, as we humble ourselves, we get to know what God's like. As we worship him, he says, they open up their treasures. Worship and giving go together. And one guy, I think it was Luther, the reformer, he said, you know when a man's converted, in fact, the last thing to get converted in a man's life is his wallet. And you know when someone's converted, why? Because it touches every area of your life. And he said, that's it. The church is after money. We don't want your money. Keep your money. God doesn't need your money. But he has principles about if you give, you will get. I didn't make that up. Paul talks about giving and receiving. Jesus said, as you give, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. God will cause men to come and bring it into your lap. God has got principles to get people out of debt and get them into fi functioning financially well. All that is to do with the gospel. And yet people say, oh, it's American. Oh, it's this. They're just that. It's a money thing. It's a racket. And I want to say, read the Bible again. You see, God's interested in every detail of our lives. These wise men came, they bowed down and they worshipped. Why? Because Jesus lived like he was God. One of his best friends called Lazarus died and the sisters sent word to him, Martha and Mary, and they said, Lazarus, your friend is sick. 
And Jesus waited four days. And then eventually he went to where Lazarus was. And when he inquired about Lazarus, they said he's dead. And one of the sisters said, if, if only you'd have been here, Jesus, my brother would have lived. And Jesus said, even now, whoever believes in me will live. I am the resurrection and the life. And she's saying, yeah, we know at the end days, he'll be resurrected into to the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Present tense. Watch this. He didn't say watch this. That's my interpretation. And he went to the tomb and they rolled the stone against the tomb. And he said, move that stone away. And the people said, no, that'll cause a stink. And I said about Jesus, his leadership is disruptive. And wherever Jesus goes, he can cause a real stink. Why? Because if his principles fly in the face of this world's principles so often. And it's not because he wants an argument. It's because everything's upside down and Jesus has come to turn it the right way around. And he said, roll the stone away. And the people rolled the stone away. And he said, Lazarus, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus was there, wrapped in the kind of swaddling that they have for embalming and everything. And he'd been dead for four days. On the fourth day, your body starts to putrefy and rot. That's why they said, if we move that stone, it'll stink. But no, Lazarus is there. And it's so, I picture Lazarus being there at the door. And there were steps going into the cave. And he's like, because <laughs> there's nobody taking the, he's there, he's trapped. So he has to jump up the first step. And then the second step. And you can imagine the gasps from the crowd going, Wow, we have never seen anything like this. What did Jesus say? Take off the grave clothes. And the people that put the grave clothes off went and they took off the grave clothes and he resurrected him back to life. Jesus spoke like he was God, behaved like he was God, but he lived like he was God. And death had to do as it was told when Jesus was around. Jesus raised three people from the dead, Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, and the widow of Nain's son. Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is God come in the flesh. And last of all, I want to say, Jesus died like he was God. You know, Jesus came to earth on mission. His birth and conception weren't an accident. It was planned and thought out. And Jesus, at 33 years old, went to the cross. All the way through his teaching, he talked about being handed over to the Gentiles, and they would pluck out his beard. They would spit on him. They would hurt him and hit him. And he said, then they would raise him up. They would put him on the cross. And he said, but three days later, after they've killed me, three days later, I will rise again. And his disciples didn't really get it. But Jesus was God. And his death was not an accident. It's not like, oh, he caught a cold and he, he died of it. Or he got coronavirus and he died of it. Never mind. While he lived, he was a good leader. No, 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 no. His death was planned. I said he was 33 years old and I said that on purpose because Jesus was in the prime of his life. He was born in Bethlehem where all the, the lambs were born and they were reared for the temple about three miles away so that every Passover, every year, the feast of Passover, all the lambs were, were grown so that they'd be one-year-old lambs. They weren't lambs, they weren't little cuddly things, they were rams. They were in the prime of their life and they were then taken to the temple and people bought them and, and they were used in sacrifice for this for the blood was shed for the for the forgiveness of their sins and their family's sins Jesus chose when to die how to die where to die 
How would he, be, how would he die? Jesus said, the son of man. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. In this way, he was indicating how he was going to die. He was going to die on the cross. He chose where to die. He said, can a prophet die outside of Jerusalem? He knew going to Jerusalem was, can I put it like this, suicide. But he didn't see it as suicide. He saw it as planned. He said, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. He was paying the price for your sin and my sin. For your failings and my failings. For the ramifications of our sins on other people. What, what we have done bad in our life that has caused even worse things to happen sometimes to other people. And we are powerless to pay that debt. And Jesus has come as a ransom for many. Jesus chose how to die, where to die. He also chose when to die. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, when all the sacrificial lambs would have the throat slit and the blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, he breathed his last on the cross. And you, you know, before he even got to the cross, it is a miracle he got there. Because when they arrested him, he was betrayed by a friend. That hurts. I mean, that really hurts. And so many of you listening to me, you know, you understand. Because you've been married and your partner's left you. You've been betrayed. Maybe you weren't married, but you've lived together a long time with your partner. And they've walked out. They've walked out. You understand what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. And Jesus was arrested. And there was a game that the soldiers played. They were vindictive men. They were all Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury. They were big fellas. And they would blindfold the victim that was going to be crucified. And the game was when you hit them, the victim hadn't to hit the floor. So you had to hit them upwards. And Jesus wouldn't know where the next punch was coming from. And he would just go up and fall down. And then they would lift him up with the next punch and lift him up with the next punch. And they played this game because they were bored. And they just wanted something to do. And they were vicious men. And then they whipped him. And they whipped his back open with whips that were leather thongs with hooked pieces of bone or copper at the end and lead weights down. And the bones would scratch the back of his legs and the back of his backside and the back of his back. And, and they would scratch the skin off and the leaded weights would embed themselves into the flesh and tear it out. And Eusebius, a third century historian, said about this whipping that the victim's back was open to exposure. His bowels and his veins and his sinews and everything were laid bare. And many didn't survive the whipping. But Jesus kept going. Why? Because he saw you and he saw me and he knew he had to get to the cross and die for the sin of the world. And when they nailed his, his right hand, they put a rope around his left hand, pulled it till both arms were out of joint. And then they nailed the left hand. And then they would bend his legs and put a, an 11-inch spike through the balls of his feet. And then they would lift him up on the cross. And you've got to understand that the cross is about suffocation. And Jesus on the cross with his legs bent, and he had a place he could put his buttocks to rest. And then, but he would be suffocating, so he'd have to push up and gasp for breath. And when the pain got too much in his ankles, he'd have to go back down again. And then it, when he couldn't breathe, he would be back up again. And some men did, it, they were like this for days, sometimes even a week. And yet Jesus lasted three hours. Or six hours on the cross, I should say. Jesus chose to die. And 
even on the cross, next to you had two, two thieves, one on either side, two thieves crucified, two terrorists crucified at the side of him. One of them said, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, even at his own death, is still looking beyond his own pain to somebody who's reaching out to him. Will you reach out to him this Christmas? Because Jesus can give you the assurance of eternal life. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, a little prayer. And it's the prayer that he would have been taught in Aramaic and every little Jewish boy was taught it. And every night they would say this prayer, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And the Bible says he gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him. Death couldn't snatch it off him. He gave up his spirit. Jesus in John chapter 10 says, I have authority to lay down my life and take it back up again. No man takes it from me. And Jesus gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. And he'd done the work that none of us could do to pay the price of salvation for everybody that would believe. John in his gospel says, he who has the son has life. He who has not got the son has not got life and he's condemned already. And Jesus is not angry at you. God's not angry at you. But he has to punish sin. And he punished sin at the cross so that if we attach ourselves to Jesus by faith and say, Lord, remember me, then what he's done at the cross affects you. But if you don't, it doesn't affect you. It's a bit like doing the lottery. You know, you can't say, well, I want to win the lottery and not get a ticket. You've got to have that ticket. Without the ticket, you can't have it. And without faith in Jesus, you can't have it. It's been bought for you. It's there. Eternal life has been won for you. But you've got to exchange by faith your unrighteousness for his righteousness, your badness for his goodness, your human life for his eternal life. I think I've said enough. This Christmas, I'm here to bring good news. Like the angels said to the shepherds, we bring you good news of great joy for all the people. And I bring you, it was personal, I bring you. What will you do with this God-man, Jesus, this Christmas? I don't want you to analyse it, I don't, I don't want you to throw your brain away, but at the end of the day, I can't understand electricity, never mind how God can become a man. But I can live in the good of what I don't know. And it's not by knowledge that you know God, it's by faith. And you will know in your spirit that you're right with God. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 